Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer. Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment. Like what you hear? Have something to add? Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. Hi, everybody. Today we're discussing chemotherapy and what to expect, different coping strategies, the ins and outs, how it affects your emotions, your body, your life. Chemotherapy is a drug treatment that uses powerful chemicals to kill fast-growing cells in your body. There's many different forms of chemo and how you receive it, different side effects, lots of emotions, and fast-occurring changes. So I'll kind of start with introductions then. I'm Kisera. I was diagnosed with high B-cell lymphoma back in August of 2020. Hi, my name is Brady Lucas. I'm 25 years old. I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia at age eight years old in 2005. And then I relapsed in 2010 at age 14. I am now 11 years post bone marrow transplant. Hi, I'm Allie Snyder. I am 21. I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2019 when I um, was 19. Hi, I'm Kayla Brown. I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was 15. I'm now 22, seven years. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. I'm 18 and I am currently undergoing treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma. I was diagnosed about two and a half months ago. Hi, I'm Abby. I was diagnosed with pH positive ALL when I was 22 and I'm now 27. So it's been a couple of years. Hi, I'm Bailey. I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma back in December, and I'm currently going through treatment. Hi, I'm Cameron Benjamin, and in September, I was diagnosed at age 31 with myelodysplastic syndrome, and I'm undergoing treatment, and in two weeks, I'll be getting a stem cell transplant. Hi, I'm Jasmine. I'm 16. I was diagnosed in December with nasal pharyngeal carcinoma. I'm Jenny Banks, 14 years old. I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, January 2020. So this topic, it kind of brings up a whole bunch of questions. I'm sure there's more that we can even think of. But the first question I have is how long after diagnosis did you actually start treatment? So for me, I was 26 when I was diagnosed. I had my tumor removed in July but I didn't get my final pathology results back until the beginning of August because it had to be sent down to John Hopkins because the pathologist couldn't decide on a final diagnosis since my diagnosis is kind of rare that I had double hit. But I would say after my diagnosis, I mean, I got it August 4th of 2020. And by the end of the month, by then I had my bone marrow biopsy done, a PET scan, a second opinion, my port placed, and I started treatment all within about three weeks. For me, I was diagnosed on April 14, 2005, and I started treatment the same day. So the second that they found out that I had leukemia and then did the bone marrow biopsy and were pretty sure that it was ALL, they decided to start treatment right away. And then when I relapsed, it was the same exact thing. I relapsed and then the treatment started that evening. So on September 19th, I went into the hospital, was unofficially diagnosed, but then started treatment and then was officially diagnosed on September 20th. 
I was like radii also started treatment, I think probably less than 12 hours after I was diagnosed. I had a tumor compressing my spinal cord and before they were even sure that what I actually had was leukemia, they wanted to remove the tumor. So they did that. It took me a while to get diagnosed, probably like four months of going to the doctor before anybody took it seriously. So my treatment was pushed back a lot. So I think that was kind of like when I did finally get di- diagnosed and I got my one lymph node taken out and tested, they were, you know, like they wanted to start, they wanted to get my port in right away. I think I got my port in like five days later. And then I started chemo in my port, you know, that I just got put in two days after that. So it didn't even really heal from surgery. They were just like, you know, kind of like we can't wait any longer. And I didn't want to wait any longer because of how bad I felt. So happened really fast. I would definitely say that my diagnosis was pretty quick. I first went to the doctors in about like mid-December. And after that, like they set up this whole line of appointments for me. Um, And I think we got pathology back mid-January and I started treatment early February. So it was all pretty quick. Mine was pretty quick too. I actually went in to my, I had a doctor appointment two days before Christmas and then my doctor ended up sending me to the hospital. And then that's where I was. They, as soon as, because I had a tumor, like one of my lymph nodes was pressing up against my trachea. And I had a really, really bad cough where I was just, I couldn't stop coughing. So they started me almost right away once they got my diagnosis back to try to treat the, the tumor. For me, it probably took, so I think I started like noticing symptoms in September. And then it took until January 20th until I was actually diagnosed but from then I think it was a pretty quick turnaround and like less than I think 24 hours after I was actually diagnosed where the results came back of the biopsy I was up at Hershey and then everything kind of just went pretty quickly from there. It took about three months for any doctors to actually see us and look at the tumor that was on my neck but after that after it was diagnosed everything went pretty quickly it was about a month before a month until I started chemo after the I went into the emergency room at Hershey on September 12th. And within like an hour of them pulling my CBC, they said, you know, you have some type of leukemia. We don't know what. And from there, they did a bone marrow biopsy the next day. I have, it's called myelodysplastic syndrome, MDS, which is, it's like pre-AML. So typically when you're an older patient, they... There's a lot of different treatments for chemo. But for me, when they took my bone marrow biopsy, like someone else, they sent it to John Hopkins for clarity around what specific type of MDS it was. And then I started my treatment about a month later. Basically, probably Sunday, I started like having symptoms. And then Monday, I went to the doctors and then I found out that I had a brain tumor on my uh, brain stem. And then probably like two weeks after, like one week after, I went to Hershey, my first treatment. Sounds like for most of us, we kind of all just had to like jump into treatment pretty quickly. And like Allie, I had my port placed and I think I only had it for like three days and they were already like I was already in the hospital getting treatments. But that's kind of my next thing. So there's many like different ways that chemo can be administered. I had a port in the right side of my chest. They would access on a Monday for some of my treatments. And then on Friday, they would deaccess it and send me home. 
Did anybody else have chemo administered like a different way? Did you have like oral chemo? Was it inpatient, outpatient? For me, I just had all my chemo through my port. I did four inpatient cycles, Monday to Friday. I was hooked up 24-7. And then my last two cycles I did as outpatient where I just went to the center for about eight hours a day. And after that, I was finished. So I had my chemo also through a port, but actually my port's really weird. So it's actually in my, it was in my left arm, like upper bicep. And like any doctor I talked to, they're like, we've never seen a port put in an arm. Like I got my chemotherapy in North Carolina. I was a sophomore in college and I didn't want to leave college and my degree. So I was like, I'm doing chemo and doing college. So I, I would go, I got my port and I don't know why my doctor put it in my arm because every other person who have, you know, I've seen had it in their chest. So it was really weird. Um, I didn't have, she said that she, you know, was giving me radiation there. She didn't want it there. I don't know. So <clears throat> I would go on Fridays and get like a six to eight hour treatment. I got four different chemos. It's like a standard ABVD standard for Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I'd go every other week. And yeah, that's how I got my chemo. I actually don't well, currently have a port. Um, They couldn't give me a port because I have a huge mass on my chest. So they actually gave me a pick line in my left arm. I have a Hickman. So it's like I'm constantly accessed. I've had it for like six months now. But I get azacitidine through that. And that's only a 10 minute drip. But then I've recently started over the last three months in oral. Um, it's called Venetoclax. So I take that orally as well. I've had chemo like both inpatient, outpatient, oral, through a port, through a pick. And then for ALL, also a lot of times they do um, chemo through spinal taps. So I've had that as well. I've been um, getting outpatient treatment. So I go in every other Monday um, and I have a port in the right side of my chest. So that's always where they access me and give me my medications. I've had chemo, I think, everywhere possible. I've done oral. I've had a pick line. I've had a Hickman or a Broviac. I also had a port. What was interesting about my port, similar to you, Ali, is mine was directly in the center of my chest. And a lot of people's is uh, different places in their chest. So it's definitely makes for an interesting scar story at that point. But I had outpatient, mostly chemo, and then mostly a lot of oral chemo too. Because for ALL, treatment's a lot longer. So it's around just over three years for original treatment. I had my treatment through a port, so I would go every other Tuesday for chemo. And then on Wednesday for six weeks, I went and I got a uh, rituxan or rituximab, which is an immunotherapy drug. And that was, that, that lasted six weeks. I had the rituxan too in my regimens, the R-EPOC and the R-CHOP, and they take a while. That was like one of my longest trips in my outpatient. Yeah, it's, it was, it took forever. The first day I was there, they had, they had to do it like really slowly, make sure you don't have a reaction. And then I did. So I ended up in the hospital overnight. So we all see it like in movies and shows and stuff. I know I've been more aware, like since I finished treatment and seeing like different shows and different movies with characters that have cancer, family members with cancer. And like, they just portray like, okay, you, you get chemo treatment and you're just 
kind of nauseous and you lose your hair, but that's really it, or you have to stay in the hospital. Did anyone have, I mean, other than nausea and hair loss, did anyone have any other like symptoms? Like I know, or um, side effects. I know for me, I had a lot of like fatigue and I would get really bad pain from like my Nulesta shots, but like they always said you would get it like right afterwards for a couple of days, but mine would be like a couple of days later and last for like three or four days. And it was just, sometimes they were pretty bad and I just didn't want to move. Going along with that fatigue, I I definitely had like fatigue, but I also kind of had like a little bit of brain fog. Like I had to work extra hard to remember things and I would find myself like not remembering like a, like an easy word. And I would just be like, what is that word? Like, sorry, what is the word? What is the word? And then I it would be like, oh, cat, <laughs> like, why can't I think of that word? There's like weird things like that would happen. And it would just be like random parts of the day. It wasn't like for days at a time or weeks at a time, but it would just be like, you know, like sometimes I'd be like, oh, I'm, maybe I need to go lay down because I can't remember the word cat. <laughs> maybe I should take it easy. Yeah, Allie, I would definitely say I've experienced that too. I would say one of my least favorite things is like the taste that I get in my mouth for the days after chemo, like just trying to eat like anything. It just does not taste good. So I'll have to like chew gum or put like mints in my mouth to like make the taste better. For me, I would get like really odd cravings. I would always want like spicy things or things that I hated before and I craved them so much. My craving was always ABC one, two, three, Chef Boyardee's with grilled cheese. And I think I ate that for three months straight for every single meal. And there's no rhyme or reason why. And looking back, I'm like, how the heck did I eat that? And it couldn't be like another type of Chef Boyardee. It had to be that exact kind or I wouldn't eat it. Yeah, I was like that too. I absolutely hated lemonade before chemo, but I just could not get enough lemonade during chemo. And like, even now I still, I just get like really thirsty for it. And I'm like, where is this coming from still? Because I didn't really drink lemonade before. Also, another thing I had like kind of vision changes, like blur, like a little bit of like a blurry vision, which I think is the side effect of one of the chemos, like leomycin or something like that. I definitely had like, like I would, you know, I couldn't, see far away before I've always had 20-20 vision and it would just be like I'd really have to strain to see things and that has gone away to a point but I still feel like my vision has gotten worse from before I had chemo and with the taste in your mouth kind of thing if I would even like smell the outpatient center that I would go to like it would make me nauseous so even if I would go in on an off day and get like just saline or something like fluids I'd be nauseous because I just the smell I associated with my chemo maybe like sick. Oh, that was me and uh, the chicken fingers at the hospital for like the first few weeks. Like that's what I ate when I was at the hospital. But then I don't know, probably halfway through my treatment, I could not stand the smell of the chicken fingers and like just the thought of well, any chicken fingers made me nauseous. And same with eggs. Like I could not eat eggs. I, I don't know. It took me until this year to actually start eating eggs again. And it was just, it, and the smell still is nauseating. But I, I can eat them now, though. I am the exact same way. The hospital chicken tender, like the chicken fingers, I cannot stand the smell of them. I still cannot eat chicken. Like, just the smell, the thought of that chicken from the hospital just makes me nauseous. Like, I can't, 
I still can't eat chicken and I live on Chipotle. That's like all I eat. I will say I made a similar mistake, but with pizza and now like the smell and like, of course, like I went to school today for the first time in a few weeks and like pizza is like one of the big foods that they like serve in the cafeteria and just like seeing it made me feel icky. So basically I get like the carboplatin like taste in my mouth and like it will like last for like a week and I just like deal with that and I would like hot and stuff like that. It would, it would it would be terrible. It's just it's just terrible. Aiden, before you unmute, oh you did already, but you should oh, un- you should oh reunmute because I happen to know that you are one of the few people that didn't ever lose your hair, which is like a you know really unusual. Can you want want to say anything about that? I was probably just I'm one of the lucky ones. You know, I could have lost my hair and I didn't, and I'm actually thankful for that. I think it's interesting how side effects can vary so much. Like I had some really severe side effects. I was like inpatient for months at a time, but I never threw up from chemo, which is like a very common side effect. So I think it's just so interesting that that can happen. I think it's interesting, like how you go through like chemo, because I last week I finished my fourth round, but like the first two rounds, I didn't get sick at all. And like the last round kicked my ass. Like I was sick constantly throwing up constantly it took me down i definitely noticed that the first two rounds were way easier than the last two rounds for me like the first two rounds i was like you know like come on you know like hit me with your best shot you know let's go and then you know then i got the third one and i was like whoo <laughs> she swings and i actually didn't lose my hair either for the first two months like i was losing hair but i still like had like nobody could notice. So it's kind of weird because my doctor told me like, I've seen a lot. I deal really a lot with Hodgkin's patients. They lose their hair, you know, within the first like week, you know, and I didn't either. So I was really lucky. But then towards the end, you know, hit me with that one too, bald, you know. Yeah, I definitely agree. My first two cycles were like so easy. And then I like went into my third cycle and I was like completely hit with nausea by like the second day. And I was just like, where did this come from? But I mean, it carried out through, I never got sick, like throw up, but I was constantly nauseous and I never wanted to eat much after that. Yeah, I actually had my third one last week and I was just like in bed for like a good four days, just in bed, sleeping on and off like the whole day. My first two like went fairly well. So it was just awful. And like, I have not thrown up yet, but just like the feeling in your stomach, like is almost just as bad as throwing up. Like you just feel like you are always going to. So it's just really icky. I will say a really annoying side effect was I kind of, the only way I can describe it is I felt like I was filled with tar. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but I just felt heavy and like bloated in my arms, even just like everything felt like I was full of tar. Like I felt like if I was being chased, there's no way I could run away because I'm like weighed down kind of feeling. I was definitely the same way. My stuff leading into my house, it was the hardest thing because my knees felt so weak and I couldn't pick anything up because it just all felt so heavy and I was so weak. Yeah, I always, by like Wednesday with my treatments, I always had to get IV Lasix because I would just feel 
so puffy and swollen. My fingers would be huge, my feet. And that was always the worst because it's like, you don't feel good. You don't sleep good because you're in the hospital. And then they give you that when you finally like want to lay down and just rest, but you're constantly going back and forth to go to the bathroom. Leading off what Elizabeth said earlier about being in bed for like four days and just relaxing and stuff kind of leads into the next question. Um, What was your ideal setup for post-chemo? Like when you came home after treatment or from the day of getting treatment, did you have certain people there? Did you do like anything special? Do anything that helped you like get through the day? I know for me, my aunt would always pick me up from the hospital. So I wouldn't have to wait for my husband to get off work. I would come home. She would help me get a shower because I'd get really funky in the shower and feel like I was going to pass out. So she would help me make sure I was okay. And while I was doing that, my husband always made spaghetti. We called it spaghetti fries. And then we just kind of hang out and I'd go to bed and just sleep for a while because I was just exhausted when I'd come home. One of my grandmothers would always take me to chemo. Once in a while, my boyfriend, he lived 12 hours away, but he would come sometimes and take me and hang out. But they would sit with me pretty much the whole time. And I actually had classes on Fridays. So I would go in the morning, get my labs drawn, go to two classes. And then one of them, my grandmothers would pick me up and then drive me to chemo, which was like 15 minutes away from the university. And I would get chemo until like 5 p.m., 5.30, 6 sometimes. And then they'd go home pretty much and like sleep the night away. Usually I would sleep Saturday away. If I was awake doing things, I really didn't remember because it was foggy. Uh, For me, my mom was with me at every chemo. So we'd get up, probably leave the house by 7, drive to Hershey. And then I'd be there usually until at least 4.30, 5 o'clock. And then when I came home, I actually, so my parents' bedroom is the one on the first floor. So I kicked my dad out of my parents' room for literally my whole cancer treatment. And um, I just, I slept in there and that's basically where I lived for however many months it was. And I I had a really good setup because my mom was super helpful with everything. Yeah, it was, I just, I don't remember doing much either, honestly. I think it was a lot of sleeping, a lot of binge watching TV when I was awake, just trying to stay up to date with school, but mostly just trying to feel some semblance of normalcy. Yeah, my days are about that time frame too, like eight to five or so. When I get home, I'll normally shower and then just head right to my bed. And I'll like to like either prop up my phone or like my laptop or something, binge watch Netflix. Right now I'm watching Hannah Montana on Disney Plus. So that's been fun. And also like TikTok too. I don't know if you guys are on TikTok, but I love to watch those to just kind of get my mind off things if I can't sleep. So I don't know if anyone else has kids. I think I might be the oldest, but I would come home and I would have a little bit of time because like I said, it's only a 10 minute drip. We waited longer for the chemo to come from the pharmacy than the actual infusion. But I would come home, my son would want to play, right? So like that was very hard to explain to him like I'm really tired right now so that was that was interesting it's hard it still is hard especially too because like I'll be away for like a month when I get my transplant so that's kind of a different side effect or just experience when I'm coming home after I would get my chemo I'll come back home I'll probably be like sleeping in the car like I'll be dead 
my mom had to wake me up. And I'll go upstairs to my room. Remember, I told you guys I was like, I was hot. So I'll be in my bed trying to rest. But then that hot feeling that I get just like, like, you know, mostly goes away. My favorite thing with spinal tap days, which were, you know, once a month and once every three months were you couldn't eat in the morning. And sometimes the spinal taps wouldn't be till two or three o'clock in the afternoon. So we used to go to Tokyo Diner for the lunch special, which is hibachi and just scrub out. Didn't remember eating at all and wake up on the couch when I got home and, you know, always was a treat. My grandmothers definitely were stinked because I was, I was grouchy after chemo. I would get it. I usually would fall asleep getting it. One time I tried to take an online quiz and I got a four out of 20 on it. And then I had to ask my teacher if I could redo it. Cause I'm like, you know, you might not get this excuse a lot, but I was actually getting chemo when I did this quiz. And then she's like, don't worry. One quiz drops from the grade. So like, I didn't get to redo it. I'm like, I learned my lesson. I'm not doing homework on chemo. Like some people can do like read and no, I was gone. I checked out for the day. I was done. So once I like woke up and they're like, all right, time to walk to the car. And like, I'm like, no. So I was definitely a grouch afterwards. Once the IV Benadryl hit, there was no going back. So we kind of hit on a whole bunch of like physical symptoms, but I know going into like my third cycle and especially into my fourth, um, I really hit like a mental wall, like emotionally. And I just, I don't know. It just was weird. I just didn't feel as prepared and like ready to go into treatment as I was like the first couple of cycles. I know going into my fourth was really hard because I had a month off in between the two cycles because I ended up getting COVID. My husband and I both had it. Did anyone else really struggle? And how did you get through it? I know for me, like my family just kind of would message me a lot more and come over the certain ones that we had like in our circle at that time, because I mean, when I got treatments, it was all through COVID. So we were very particular and careful with who I was around and who we let over and where we would go. So weird for me, like, because when I got chemo, like I was sitting in class with like 200 people and they would actually like in the morning on Friday morning, I would get my labs drawn and they would leave my port access with the needle hanging out of it. Like the, you know, like the 90 degree needle that you used to access your port. They would just wrap it up and then I would go to college. Like, I'm like, just, it's just crazy to me. Like the infection control <laughs> was just not taken in consideration, but thank God I never got, never got sick. Maybe, you know, maybe it was the good germs I was getting, but. Ali, I think the same thing. I literally had my bone marrow transplant and none of the nurses or doctors or anyone had masks when they came into my room. And it's the funniest thing looking back that, you know, all they literally had was gowns on. I don't even know if they had gloves or anything on either. I think it was really weird for me because like in between my cycles, the doctors were like, oh, yeah, you can go to school because our high school is really small and they still had a mask mandate. And I swear they jinxed me because no, t- the day I was supposed to go back to school, they dropped the mask mandate. I was like, someone jinxed me, someone. But yeah, so it's been weird. I haven't actually been able to like go to school in person since then. And I was such like your average, like talkative jock. So I haven't seen like anyone. So it definitely took like a toll. Yeah, my oncologist would joke and say, you know, you picked a good time to get cancer. He goes, not only do you have to wear a mask, but everybody else does too. 
I just had to smile through when you think about the positive things. I would always think of um, the stuff I lost and then think about the stuff I gained. And then, you know, I was always in a good mood because of that. Now, hospital. I might look like Austin Grouch. Okay, I might be mad. And one reason why I'm mad because I had to wake up early because I had to go in the morning. And I had to sit through here like everybody talking to me. Like, I'm just, I'm tired, man. Like, I'm, I'm tired. Like, I know I had to wake up early to go to school, but dang, like, that's how I get through. Those 4.30, 5 o'clock blood draws and vitals were always the worst because it's like, it's finally when I was like, just falling like into that deep sleep after being up most of the night. I was going to say, it's always like, you know, or those early morning questions, you're just like, it's like, has your meds changed? This, that. On a scale of one to 10, I'm like, you just saw me yesterday. It's the same for everything. So did anyone have like a motto or like a quote or something that you just kind of like helped you get through like treatment by treatment or through the whole process, like overall? Like I know for me, I really dug into like my scriptures and stuff and the one that really stuck out was like Jeremiah 29 11. but I would print out like inspirational quotes and like put them in my bag and like put different ones up each day just to kind of help me get through the days especially like when I was in the hospital mine's very simple but something that I always repeat to myself whenever I feel down or whenever things are getting rough is this too shall pass and it's always Pretty simple, but it's always stuck with me. I'm very sarcastic, so I always tell myself this is just like another pothole on a Pennsylvania highway. This I just used to tell myself it's just another pothole. I didn't really have a motto per se. It was more just like taking it one day at a time. Like, like you get through this day and the next day, and it just like I didn't even like for me. It was just I just had to show up, and like if I could show up to like chemo that was that was a step in the right direction like I know that my mom was all about like inspirational quotes and like scripture and like I'm not a very like religious person so like I love that that's that works for her and stuff but it just like wasn't really my thing I feel like during my treatment like a lot of people because I grew up in like a Catholic family a lot of it was people telling me that like if God brings you to it he'll bring you through it and like I know that they were trying to be like helpful and motivational but like it didn't necessarily help me like I know that they were trying their best and but like it's just certain things just like help for some people I think so I think you have to find what worked best for you and for me it was just taking it one day at a time for my mom watching me go through this it was like praying and reading scripture and finding different inspirational quotes I had no motto I was like kind of just like all right well this is another day. I'll just get this over with, and I just didn't let it. I I tried not to let it like interfere with my life as much. Like I was kind of, I was more like annoyed. I was just like, really, I got to do this now. And I had a really good friend in my life who kind of, if I was like throwing myself a pity party. She would be like, "Allie, get over yourself. Or like, clean up your room. It is disgusting. Like, go take a shower." Like, she was just very honest with me, and I needed that. And you know, she kind of pulled me out of my my pity party. <laughs> it wasn't really like big thing. It was like, I would always ask myself in the mirror, who am I? And like, what I have to go? Through. Yeah, sometimes I forget that. And 
sometimes I'll get like a little bit sad, you know, glad to see my mom going through it as well. I know she like prays for me. I'm glad she does. And I'm glad she's a big part of it. Well, kind of going through everything. And then for me, the last question that I have is how was your transition going from chemo and treatments and all of that back into like normal life and things that you used to do? I know when I first finished treatments, I was just ready to get back to work. I was crazy being in the house and not really seeing people or interacting. I mean, I was very close. I'm very still very close with my coworkers, but I mean, they did a lot to try to keep me included and make me feel included, even though I wasn't in the office, but I was just excited to get back. But then it kind of hit me like a month after I was back. I just kind of everything that I suppressed through treatments and all of that just kind of all washed over me. And I just was really struggling for a while and ended up reaching out and getting some counseling to get some help because I was like, I didn't know how to process everything that was just overwhelming me all at once. Yeah. So I went back to work. It was supposed to be for a little bit between the two. The first donor, she wasn't able to work out for my transplant. So they found a second donor. So I went back to work, but absolutely the same thing, right? So like here I was not working for six months. And I thought everyone else's life kind of stopped as well. But you go back to work and you realize like all the projects that I was working on, other people were working on and FOMO, fear of missing out, was very much real and alive for me. So thankfully, I just had the rest of this week to work. But the same thing, like I'm seeking out a counselor, a therapist to develop like strategies because I want to be able to go back to work and be happy for my peers and not necessarily be jealous because it's... Like I, a lot of things happened since I was gone and I just want, again, like I said, to be happy for them. And I don't think I can do that right now. I feel like that really, I feel like that happens a lot, like, especially because we're all young adults and we're in like such a fast moving time in our life. Like I'm upset that my peers didn't stop either. You know what I mean? Like they're all maybe in the best times of their lives right now. I don't know. Cause, but you know, like in the early 20s. And there I was getting treatment and having cancer. And and yeah, after my treatment, I think was like the hardest time for me because I had to, okay, now I'm Allie without cancer. Like I just got used to being Allie with cancer. Now I'm Allie without cancer. And it's really hard to mourn that part of me because I was already like, you know, I still didn't even mourn the 19-year-old who got diagnosed with cancer. I still didn't get to mourn that person. Now I'm Alley without cancer. I didn't get to mourn the person with cancer. So it's just like it, it moved really fast. I was going through the motions like, okay, now we're doing this. I'll do it, whatever. And then I just, it all hit me at once, kind of like Kasara. And yeah, I definitely found that having a counselor has helped. But um, I'm two years out from my last treatment and, you know, I'm still learning how to be the new me that I am and figure out how to be happy for everybody around me because they didn't lose the time that I lost. And I don't, you know, I still have that thing where it's like, how's this fair? And, you know, you just got to come to terms with that. It's hard, but so still working on that two years later. Yeah, Ali, I agree with that because not only did I like miss out on stuff during treatment, then um, my treatment, I'm like immunocompromised potentially forever. So then right as soon as I finished treatment, then COVID started and then I'm immunocompromised. And then I had to like, 
take extra COVID precautions and there's just been like a lot of not doing the social things I'd like to do, not doing like the, just like a lot of fun stuff in life. And that's been hard to like come to terms with like the loss of that. Like you said, mourning those different things that like past you might've been able to do. For me, it was a transition. So I was a sophomore in high school when I was diagnosed. And I think I did not, I did not want to go back to school and be the girl that had cancer. Like I'd come to terms with that's who I was, but then I wasn't. And I didn't want to be that girl. So I made the decision to cyber school and it was probably the best decision of my life. And then a couple of years later, I started to realize that I was depressed and I hadn't fully come to terms with everything I had gone through. And I realized, and then I was realized I had like PTSD and survivor's guilt. And that's something that I, it took me a long time to actually be able to talk about it. It's still something that I struggle with. So I think still transitioning, like knowing that like, I'm not the girl that had cancer anymore, but also sometimes feeling like I'm still the girl that had cancer, even though that was seven years ago. And just trying to figure it all out and like realize that that's, it's always going to be a part of me and just figuring out how to get through every day, knowing that and which is why like I'm, I'm in counseling too. And honestly, it's probably the, one of the best decisions I've made, just being able to talk about it. Because I feel like knowing that other people are going through something similar to you can be helpful. And just like, just knowing you're not alone. And I think that's really helped me in like transitioning from, not just from being the person that had cancer to not having cancer, but just like in all the life stages that have happened since then, like high school, college, now in the real world. Yeah, I know. I still struggle. I mean, I just had a year of remission in January, but there's like times where I'll meet new people or like get introduced to people and they'll be like, oh, this is Kisera. This is the girl that had cancer. And it's like, I don't want it to define me. Like, I just, it makes me feel awkward sometimes. And I'm like, can I just be Kisera for once again? Like, do we have to be that girl that had cancer? I feel like going um, back into family events was honestly the hardest because they're your family and they are also hurt by like what you went through and them always being sad around me honestly the hardest part of all of it and i don't know to me the most offensive statement because i lost a lot of weight is when somebody says you look good you look good you know what i'm saying at the end of that i was like i've always looked good i don't care how much i weigh but like i've always looked good and when they say that it's like nails on a chalkboard because totally aware of what's going on i got this thing in my chest like i know that i look good so like you don't have to tell me that over and over but you're right family i find they're the hardest ones to be around sometimes the thing that i can't stand is i was so insecure after my treatment about my hair i just was and i was kind of bloated from my steroid treatment and i just i was just insecure i really was and I, I started classes and I wasn't going to be wearing a wig because I'm like, I can't just, you know, one day have the wig, you know, pull a Miley Cyrus sample, you know, didn't want to do that to them. So I went in with really short hair and, you know, now it's been two years. My hair is like down to my shoulders and people are like, you don't even look like the same person. Like, and I'm like, I know. <laughs> Thank you. That's not a compliment. It really isn't. Like I was 100% aware of the way that I looked before. And anyone will say like, no, it's like your face, your face doesn't change. Like, 
you know, hair doesn't define you, but like, then you get that two years later, it's like, you're telling me I look completely different. So obviously that makes me feel a little bad about the situation. You know, it's just like, I just, I can't stand when people have to comment on like the way that you look through treatment, after treatment, whatever. It just should not be brought up at all. Backhanded compliments are definitely the worst because you know they're trying to make you feel better, but in a way it's just like, no, just treat me like a normal person. Like, you don't have to bring it up in conversation. It doesn't have to be the elephant in the room. Just feel the same person. That's why I wouldn't be treated. Yeah, I have to agree. I kind of felt like at the family events, I was always like the topic of everything. Like, oh, how are you doing? How are your treatments? How are you feeling? And it's like, I deal with it on a day-to-day basis. Like, I just want time to like spend with family and not think about it, not talk about it and just kind of let it go. In between my treatments was my NHS ceremony. Grinded out an essay for like three hours. So I was like, I'm not missing this. So I ended up going, cried for hours before because I was so nervous. And I finally like worked up the courage. My friends were so good. And as I'm like walking through the row of people to get up to the stage, this guy's staring at me and he's like, why doesn't she have any hair? And it just knocked me like down. I was, it just went right through me. And my friend like who was standing behind me just totally saw it, just took me down. But it was like the first time I'd been out in public to like actually have like that interaction at first. And it just, the first time was really hard for me, but now I'm just like, he's just a jerk. Same right here. Um, so basically, my tumor makes me like, I can't really use my arm in the way I want to, and I limp. So I went to school for the day. Like going in in person, and I go in my class, everybody starts looking at me. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm in a good mood right now. I'm in school with other people. I'm walking around, you know, like, and then somebody said, uh, we crippled. And then he came up to me and said, I'm crippled. Like, I'm crippled. I mean, he mad that day, but I really can't be mad at him. He doesn't really know what's going on because I haven't really told anybody this first day of school. I'm like, I tend in, but, and after like a little while, I told him, I told him it's not like a, it's not, it's not a permanent thing, you know? And then I like this throughout the school year, I've been here, like, people can call me crippled. Now, later then, like, after I got annoyed of it, I said something. Because, you know, I get annoyed of stuff, like, pretty easily when people keep, like, saying it, repeating it. Because, like, that's, like, that's the kind of person I am. Face-to-face at you, you know? People can unintentionally say some really hurtful things. And then sometimes they also, like, intentionally say really mean things. And I think you're already, you know, going through cancer treatment is already hard enough. And it's so unfortunate that there's extra things heaped on top of it. I think it's like nobody, nobody will ever know how it feels to get chemo unless you've gotten chemo. So like those people obviously are jerks and, but you know, they also have never had it themselves and they don't know, they don't have like the emotional attachment that we all do to it. So it's like, I'm kind of, I kind I try, I try, you know, to like, give out forgiveness and just be like, whatever, you don't know. And thank God you don't know. I'm really glad you don't know how this feels. 
And I noticed too a lot of the ill fitting comments come around. They want to say something, but they don't know what to say. So I call it word vomit just comes out of their mouth. And like it would just be best if you just don't say anything at all. Right. Like you talked to somebody said earlier, like, I just want to be a normal person and talk about normal things. Like we don't have to talk about me all the time. Well, thank you all for joining tonight and sharing your experiences and everything you've gone through or you're going through. And thank you all. Thanks for listening to Life on Pause. Ideas or suggestions for future episodes? Feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next time. time.